where we will be this morning. John, the third chapter. We're going to spend most of our time in the Gospel of John. So if you want to put a marker there, that would be great. So good to see all of you this morning. We have several guests who are here with us. We really appreciate your presence. We hope that you leave here encouraged, just as encouraged as we are that you are here. I am very happy and excited to be back with you. I've been gone for a week preaching a meeting in Cincinnati. Uh, that was a very encouraging week. Uh, I had a great time, but I'm always very excited to be here with you all. There's no place like home. So I really appreciate you all supporting me in my work here and giving me the opportunity to go preach in other places. John chapter 3 is where we'll get started in a few moments. In John chapter 3, there was a man by the name of Nicodemus who was about to learn that he was everything shy of perfection. He likely thought that he was perfect. He uh, was from the stock of Israel. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. All of his life, he's been reared in the law of Moses. He's heard precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line. He's followed the law strictly to a T for most of his life. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was a religious authority figure. He had the perfect resume, and he likely thought that he was a perfect man. But now, here in John chapter 3, at dusk, when all of the doors are shut, when all of the curtains are drawn, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse, now in John chapter 3, at night, Nicodemus was going to have a face-to-face -face conversation with he who is perfect and find out that he is everything shy of it. John chapter 3, starting in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so we stop and ask ourselves, why did Nicodemus come to Jesus by night? Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because he had everything to lose. Everything was on the line. Like I said, Nicodemus was a Jewish religious leader. He was a Jewish religious authority. He was a Pharisee. He was a well-respected, very influential man in the Jewish community around him. And for someone like Nicodemus to approach Jesus and acknowledge him as Lord, to acknowledge him as having supreme authority, to acknowledge Jesus as being a teacher come from God, for Nicodemus to do such a thing, he could have lost it all. This was not uncommon for Jewish religious leaders to believe in Jesus. In John chapter 12 and verse 42, the Bible says that there were many Jewish religious authorities who were believing in Jesus, but, but, unfortunately, for fear of the Pharisees, they would not confess it. And so, this is Nicodemus, a Jewish religious authority who believed in Jesus, but he was afraid of what everyone around him 
would think about it. And so he comes to Jesus by night. In the latter half of verse 2, he says, no one can do these signs unless God is with him. And so Jesus responds John chapter 3 and verse 3, saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus responds in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? This whole rebirth, that doesn't make sense. Do I, do I go back into my mother's womb and come out? How can a man be born again? Obviously, Obviously, here in this passage, Nicodemus did not understand the spiritual implication that Jesus was trying to make. Christ was not talking about a physical rebirth, but Christ was talking about a spiritual rebirth. And in the latter half of this chapter, he begins to explain exactly what that spiritual rebirth looks like. John chapter 3 and verse number 5, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus says to Nicodemus, hey, This isn't a physical rebirth. I'm not asking you to go back into your mama's womb. I'm telling you that you need to change your life. You need to change your attitude. You need to change your heart. You need to change your mind. You need to be reborn spiritually in order to enter into the kingdom of God. If you don't have this spiritual rebirth, you cannot be my disciple. And so Nicodemus responds to Jesus in John chapter 3 and verse number 9. How can these things be? This doesn't make sense, Jesus. How in the world are you telling me, me, a Jew, a a religious leader, uh, an authority figure, one who has been raised in the law of Moses, one whose parents were Jews, how are you telling me, uh, a Pharisee, how are you telling me that I must be born again spiritually? I am as close to perfect as perfect comes. I'm a teacher of the law. And Jesus says to him in John chapter 3 and verse 10, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus said to him, I know, I know, I'm well aware of the fact that you are a teacher of Israel. I'm well aware of the fact that you are a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm well aware of the fact that you know the law so well. I'm well aware of the fact that you think that you are so perfect. And if you think that you are so perfect, if you are such a wonderful and grand teacher of Israel, why is it do you not understand that you, just like everyone else in the world around you, you, just like all of those pagans, you, just like all of those Gentiles, you, just like everyone else, is a wretched sinner who is in need of the love, grace, and mercy of God. It didn't matter where Nicodemus came from. It didn't matter who his parents were. It didn't matter how much of the law that he knew. It didn't matter that he was circumcised on the eighth day. 
His heritage did not matter with God. That's the first lesson that Nicodemus learned in this meeting at night. His heritage means absolutely nothing to God. And that's the lesson that we have to learn today, ladies and gentlemen. Though we live in this beautiful country called America, though we are dwelling in our beautiful grand uh, paneled houses, uh, as Haggai would say, though we're lying on beds of ivory stretched out on couches, though we're drinking the best uh, drinks and, and eating the best foods, though we have it made, though we live in this wonderful country that, that claims to be one nation under God, though we were raised in the church, Though our mommy and daddy were Christians, though our grandmommy went to Florida college, though we are American citizens and though we were raised in the church, that does not make us any better than someone who lives in Africa, Asia, South America, or Antarctica. All of us are in the same category. All of us are wretched sinners who are in need of the love, grace, and mercy of God. Christ did not just die for Americans, and Christ did not just die for people who were raised in the church. Christ came to die for all men. Jesus makes this very clear to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 16. What does he say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That means Jews, that means Gentiles, that means Americans, that means Asians, that means South, that means all men. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the word of truth. He continues to say that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is who? Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for all. Christ came to die for all men. Heritage means absolutely nothing to God. The Apostle Paul recognized this. In Philippians chapter 3, he talks about his former life and where he has come from. He says that he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was from the stock of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. As to the righteousness that comes from the law, he was blameless. As to the zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. He was on fire for the law of Moses. But guess what? Guess what? None of that made a bit of difference to the Apostle Paul after he heard about Christ. He said he counts all of that as rubbish so that he may gain Christ. We have to put aside our heritage. We have to put aside who our uh, parents are. We have to put aside what nation we live in and recognize that we are all one in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. And so on the final day of judgment, when, when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, and, 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 and he judges us based off of the works that we have done in this life, whether good or evil, on the final day of judgment, listen to me, Christ is not going to be concerned with, with uh, whether your daddy was a preacher. Christ is not going to be concerned with whether your um, sister or your uh, grandmother went to Florida college. Christ is not going to be concerned with whether you are an American citizen. What Christ is going to be concerned with is if you have been washed by his blood. Have you been washed in the blood of the lamb and have you been born again? 
That's what's going to matter on the final day of judgment, not where we have come from. Heritage means absolutely nothing to God. That's a lesson that Nicodemus learned here in John chapter 3 in this meeting at night. But not only that, in this meeting at night, Nicodemus learned that fame and popularity mean nothing to God. Earthly fame and popularity means absolutely nothing to God. And this was made very, very clear in Nicodemus's behavior in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, we have what is the annual Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a time when Jews from all over the world gathered together in Jerusalem to live in tents in memory of their forefathers who dwelt in the wilderness. And so here in John chapter 7, you have Jews from all over the world who are in one place. And Jesus' brothers come to him and they say, Hey, Jesus, this is the perfect opportunity for you to reveal yourself to the entire world. If you are truly the Son of God, as you say, let everyone know it now at the Feast of Booths. At first, Jesus refuses to do this. He says, my time has not yet come. However, as the days of the feast continues, Jesus decides to go, but he goes in secret. And then he begins to speak up. And he starts to say things that would suggest to many that he is truly the prophesied Messiah, that he is truly the Son of God. And when Jesus begins to speak, a lot of people are upset. A lot of people are surprised. A lot of people are happy. But he creates a great deal of controversy here in John chapter 7. And so in John 7 verse number 40, John 7 verse number 40, the Bible says, When they had heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. Verse number 47. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Yes, yes. Some of the authorities and one of the Pharisees did believe in him. One of the authorities and one of the Pharisees could not care less at this moment in his life about what everyone else in Jerusalem thought about him. At this moment, yes, there was one of the Pharisees who did believe in him. At this point in this Pharisee's life, he recognized that fame and popularity mean absolutely nothing to God. And so, in this moment, in the midst of all of these Jewish religious leaders, in the midst of all of these people who want to put Jesus to death, this Pharisee who believed in him spoke up. For God. The Bible says in John chapter 7, John chapter 7 and verse number 50, John 7 verse 50, Nicodemus who had gone to him before and who was one of them said to them, 
does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Do you support this Jesus fanatic too? Have you been persuaded by Jesus too? Are you that dumb? Are you that ignorant? Are, are you a follower of Christ too? Nicodemus, have you lost your mind too? Perhaps. Maybe so. Maybe in this moment, Nicodemus had lost his mind. Maybe in this moment, Nicodemus had lost his mind for Christ. He was no longer concerned about what everyone in the world thought about him. He was no longer concerned with trying to uh, be popular and be um, appreciated and be respected among the Jewish religious authorities. Nicodemus' greatest concern here in John chapter 7 was honoring and glorifying God because he recognized that fame and popularity mean absolutely nothing to God. And this is a lesson that we have to learn today. Instead of being so worried and so uh, consumed about um, how many likes we get on our Facebook post, instead of being so uh, concerned about how many followers we have, instead of being so concerned about how many friends we have, instead of being so concerned uh, about whether our coworkers like us or whether our classmates like us or whether we get to sit at the popular table at school, instead of being so concerned about ourselves and what everyone in the world thinks about us, why don't we start being a little more concerned about He who gave us the ability to have concern. Instead of worrying about being famous and popular and cool, start trying to revere, honor, respect, and trust in God. Because earthly fame and popularity mean absolutely nothing to him. In Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul enters into the church of Galatia, and he is appalled that the Christians there have corrupted God's standards of grace in order to please and in order to satisfy men. And Paul asks them the question, who are you trying to please? Are you trying to please man, or are you trying to please God? If you are still trying to please man, you cannot call yourself a servant of God. That's the same question that we have to ask ourselves on a daily basis. We have to ask ourselves that question every single day. Who am I trying to please? Am I trying to please man? Am I trying to please my coworker? Am I trying to please my friends? Am I trying to please my family? Am I trying to please man? Or am I trying to please God? Am I trying to serve God? Am I trying to trust and honor and respect and revere God? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. If we're not trying to please God, then don't call yourself a servant of God. If you're not trying to please God, then don't call yourself a Christian. If you're not trying to please God, stop going through the motions. We have to be all in. We can't have one foot in the church building and one foot out. We have to be all in for Jesus and recognize that fame and popularity mean absolutely nothing to him. On the final day of judgment, on the final day of judgment, God is not going to be concerned about how many friends you have on Facebook. 
God is not going to be concerned about how many people liked your selfie. God is not going to be concerned uh, about um, whether you sat at the cool table at school or not. On the final day of judgment, all that will matter to God is if you are one of His or if you are one of the world's. If you are ashamed of Him and His Word and who He is and His standards of morality, if you are ashamed of Him on this side of heaven, Luke chapter 9, verse 26, He will be ashamed of you when it's all said and done and when it really matters. In this meeting at night in John chapter 3, Nicodemus was able to realize that fame and popularity mean absolutely nothing to God. But not only that, in this meeting at night, third and finally, Nicodemus was able to realize that sacrifice means everything to God. Sacrifice means everything to God. The meaning of sacrifice was made very, very clear to Nicodemus in John chapter 19. As he sees the wonderful, merciful Savior, the the precious Redeemer, as he sees uh, the prophesied Messiah, as he sees the King of kings and the Lord of lords slapped, beaten, spit at, blindfolded, mocked, laughed at, beaten, as he sees the prophesied Messiah with lacerations all over his back, as he sees Jesus Christ being led to the blood-drenched slopes of Golgotha, carried away, nailed to a cross, a crown of thorns twisted on his scalp, and pouring out his blood for the sins of the world, as he sees the prophesied Messiah in this state, Nicodemus was able to recognize the true meaning of sacrifice. He was able to recognize and realize the amount of love that God had for this world, that he would be so gracious to send his only begotten son as a living sacrifice for us. Nicodemus was able to realize that sacrifice meant everything to God. And so, since God, since God and Christ were willing to sacrifice so much for him, Nicodemus was willing to sacrifice everything for God. John chapter 19, verse 38, after Jesus has poured out his blood for the sins of the world, the text says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Verse 39, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, he had earlier come to Jesus by night, but guess what? Guess what? Now at the third hour when Christ has died, now at 9 o'clock a.m., now in broad daylight, Nicodemus comes to Jesus bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. That was a whole lot of myrrh and aloe. That was about $150,000 to $200,000 worth of myrrh and aloe. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he carries his body, he anoints his body with these expensive ointments, and the text continues to say in verse 40, they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden 
and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever yet laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Two men here in John chapter 19. Two men here in John chapter 19 who are formerly uh, secret admirers of Jesus. Two men here in John chapter 19 who once came to Jesus by night. Two men who were once believers in Christ, but secretly because they feared the Jews. Two men here in John chapter 19, Nicodemus 1 who was formerly most concerned about where he came from, who was formerly most concerned about his heritage. He was most concerned about what everyone around him thought about him. But guess what? Now, in this moment, when, when, when uh, things, things are, are looking pretty bad for all of those, these people who profess to be Christians, when the Roman occupation has made it very, very clear that followers of Christ would be killed, now, in this moment, Nicodemus could not care less about where he came from. He could not care less about what people thought about him. He was willing to lay it all on the line. He was willing to carry the dead, beaten, mangled body of Jesus in Jerusalem in broad daylight. He was ready to risk his life. He was ready to sacrifice himself for God. Sacrifice means everything to God. This is the point that the Apostle Paul made in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you give your life as a living sacrifice to God, which is what? Holy and acceptable, and that is our reasonable service. That is the least that we can do. Since God gave his son as a living sacrifice for us, we are going to offer our own very lives as a living sacrifice to him. We are going to take up our crosses, Luke 9, verse 23. We're going to take up our crosses, our death instruments daily and follow him, serve him, worship him, honor him. Nicodemus literally picked up the body of Christ and served him. We need to take up our crosses, our death instruments, and follow him, serve him, and honor him. Sometimes, sometimes, True sacrifice means that we have to give up wealth and possessions and comfort in order to be true followers of the Lord. Here we see that Nicodemus sacrificed $150,000 worth of myrrh and aloes for Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, that rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks him, how does one enter into the kingdom of God? Jesus says to him, you must sell all that you have and give it to the poor. The rich young ruler went away sorrowful because he had much. He was not willing to sacrifice his wealth. He was not willing to sacrifice his comfort and his satisfaction for the kingdom of God. We must be willing to sacrifice wealth, comfort, and satisfaction for the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 6, in Matthew, excuse me, Luke uh, chapter, no, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus makes the point, who are we servants of? Are, are, are we servants of, of God or are we servants of money? You cannot love both. You're either going to love one and hate the other or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We have to recognize this. We have to be sometimes willing to sacrifice wealth in order to be true servants, true devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. But not only that, sometimes we have to be willing to sacrifice friends. 
Sometimes we have to be willing to sacrifice family. Sometimes we have to be willing to sacrifice acquaintances in order to be servants of God. Nicodemus was willing to give up his Jewish um, position of authority. He was willing to um, be an outcast for the cause of Christ. Jesus would say in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, if a man does not hate his father, mother, brother, or sister, he is not worthy to be my disciple. Is Jesus saying that we have to literally hate our relatives? No, but what he is saying is if our relatives, if our acquaintances, if our co-workers, if our friends, if people, if people keep us away from being wholly devoted to the Lord, then we must get them out of our lives. Because sacrifice means everything to God. That was a lesson that Nicodemus learned in that meeting at night, and that's a lesson that all of us must learn today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you now humbled before your high and exalted throne. You are the King of kings, and you are the Lord of lords. We thank you so much for your word and the simplicity of it. We thank you for examples of men in scripture like Nicodemus. We thank you for his growth, and we pray that we can have that same type of humility to recognize that who we are, where we have come from, who our parents are, mean absolutely nothing to you. We pray that we will be people who recognize that um, fame and popularity mean absolutely nothing to you, and we pray that we will always be people who recognize that sacrifice means everything to you, and we pray that we will give our lives as a living sacrifice to you. Thank you so much for the sacrifice that your son made for us by being killed on that cross and rising so that we can have hope and so that we can have life. And we pray that we live our lives in a way that shows great appreciation and admiration to that every single day. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. He, he, he called Jesus a, a, a rabbi. He said, you are a teacher who has come from God. In John chapter 3, we can recognize that Nicodemus believed in Jesus to some degree, but he was still holding on to some things. He believed in Jesus to some degree, but he was still kind of concerned about what everyone in the world around him thought about it. He believed in Jesus to some degree, but he was fearful. He wasn't all in. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're like Nicodemus. You're coming to Jesus by night. You kind of believe in him, but, but you're still um, holding on to some things of this world. You kind of believe in him, but you're still worried about what all of your friends and all of your family members would think about you. You kind of believe in him, but you're so smart and you think that you're so intelligent, you're so intellectual, that if you believe that there's a, a, a person who, who has died for the sins of the world and rose three days later, you believe that if you accept that, people will think that you're foolish. You kind of believe in Jesus, but you're not all in. Today is the perfect opportunity to get all in. Because what do you have to lose? You don't have anything to lose and you have everything to gain. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 tells us how we become all in for Christ. Romans chapter 6 shows us exactly what it means to be born again. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is dealing with a group of Christians who have begun to take advantage of the grace of God. 
They believe just because God is so loving, just because he is so patient, merciful, and kind, they can live their lives however they want to. And Paul says, no, this is not how you're supposed to live. Shall we continue in sin, verse number one, so that grace may abound? Paul says in verse two, by no means, certainly not. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? How do we die to sin? Verse three, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. So we die when we were baptized, but guess what? We are born again. Verse 4, we were buried therefore within, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. How are we born again? We die to sin in the watery graves of baptism, and we rise forth walking in newness of life. If you have not done this, you're in the same boat that Nicodemus was in in John chapter 3. If you have not submitted your life to Christ by faith, repentance, confession, and full immersion of water, in water, rising forth, walking in newness of life, if you have not done that, then you are not a child of God. But... But we have the opportunity to do that this morning. If you would like to become a child of God, if you would like to be born again, if you have any spiritual need this morning, please come to the front while we stand and sing the song of invocation.